0: Hiring and retaining good web developers is a challenge for many agencies. With a white label team, it's different. White Label Agency has coded over 4,000 websites as a partner to digital agencies, and they allow you to scale your team up and down to have the right number of developers at all times. Our listeners now get 30% off their first projects. Just tell them you're a deal master and they'll know what you mean. Find out more at thewhitelabelagency.com. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Rory Sutherland is the vice chairman at Ogilvy UK. He is a TED global speaker, the author of Alchemy, the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense. And this is part two of three. I suggest you go back and listen to the first installment we broke it into three different installments because we spoke for about two hours. And this is not a Joe Rogan podcast. You can't spend all day listening to two and three hour interviews. You've got other things to do with your day. By the way, if this is your first time listening to the show, then this is not how they usually start. Um, I usually give the guest an outline of the way the interview is going to go. We do our housekeeping, ask any questions that they have, um, and then we start. And then I do my usual intro and background on the guest, and then we get into the main interview. With Rory, we get into it as soon as we start speaking. I was lucky that he was actually recording his side. Um, He's just one of the smartest people that we've had on the show. Uh, And for someone that's achieved so much, he's so humble and just hilariously funny. We go deep into the weeds about his new book, Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense, which is essential reading if you are in the business of affecting how people think and act. Um, It's about human behavior, perception, and how we think about the world and frankly why it's wrong. If you're remotely interested in the work of Daniel Kahneman, Tversky, Richard Thaler on behavioral economics, then this is definitely the podcast for you. If you are remotely interested in anything to do with human behavior, the disproportionate effects of fame and the winner-take-all scenarios in marketing, um, why the legacy of ABBA will live on longer than the legacy of the Beatles. Um, I'm just going to say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Worry Sutherland.
1: Actually, your kind of winner-takes-all thing um, with fame probably explains a bit of what's generally found in brands, which is the brand leader enjoys a disproportionate advantage in terms of the number of people who buy and the frequency with which they buy. Um, So more people buy and the people who do buy, buy more often. And that's again a case where, um, I mean, it proves, by the way, those kind of winner takes all effects with brands prove that economics is is kind of wrong, because there's patently when you get any kind of curvy um, distribution like that, there's something happening that isn't linear. Sure. You know, there's a feedback loop going in, and it's kind of fame breeds fame. And the Mona Lisa was that classic case, wasn't it? Where, uh, actually, um, so what was it? It was about 1910 or something. It was nicked,
0: was it? It was in the. Uh, it was it was stolen a few times. It was. Stolen, so, uh, was yeah, it, it was stolen twice, and and it was defa- It was defaced. So I think someone threw paint at it. Oh, you, when it, yeah. When it finally came back into in, into Italy. Um. So, but there were a series of things that happened to the painting that made it famous, that got it into the papers and the mainstream media at the time, and that was what made it famous. There were no. More, there, it was no. It was. It wasn't objectively better than any other work. That. Um, no. Uh, um uh, da vinci da vinci um yep uh, da vinci did objectively no better but because of the fame because of all of these incidents it got it into the mainstream and then people like andy warhol started doing uh sort of parodies of it and sort of recreating it and then it got into popular culture and that was what enabled it to become uh mona lisa I was talking to an author about this, and he, he um, now
1: he's a th- author of thrillers, and he said the James Bond books were catapulted into success when I think what happened it was almost an accident. So he claims that when he was standing for president, JFK had to list his ten favorite books, and he'd written a list of ten. Mm and they were all kind of like aristotle and thucydides and stuff right and one of his advisors thought god if he puts out this list this isn't going to play very well in kind of you know peoria or illinois right. he's going to look like a bit of an intellectual right. tosser right. so he like right. crossed out number seven and wrote in from russia with love by ian fleming
0: you're joking me and but, but no i mean
1: there are extraordinary cases where things that have tipped yeah. are the result of one or two really lucky accidents? accidents um i mean there's always that weird claim about Agatha Christie that she staged her own disappearance i'm not sure that's what had happened actually yeah. but she became super famous because she disappeared for a period sure um and it's a it's a really- interesting, it's a really interesting question just that um uh you know uh, that we live in a very very uneven world right. so 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 this is why I always rant about globalization because everybody treats it as an unmitigated good thing okay and if you look at what happens with technology uh, it often creates these disproportionate effects so if you were an opera singer in uh, let's say in 1880 or whatever okay there was a nice living to be made as the fourth best operatic tenor in Denmark Mm. because the best one was singing in Copenhagen and the second best one was on holiday and so when the opera in Aarhus wanted someone to sing the role of so-and-so you got a letter, okay. And right, you, and right. okay. What then happened is they invented the gramophone, and nobody wanted um, anything unless it was sung by Caruso. So you had this effect where Caruso made an insane fortune uh, out of the gramophone, uh, mm. you know, literally sort of multi millionaire stuff. Mm. And the seventh best operatic tenor was basically worse off than he was before. And you get this extraordinary phenomenon with books. So uh, there's a wonderful statistic, I think, that the average salary of an author is pretty much the same in real terms as it was 20 or 30 years ago until you strip out J.K. Rowling and Dan (laughs) Brown. And you take those two people out of the equation, everybody else has got 33% poorer. So, I mean, people who... It's interesting that... You know, people generally are in favour of globalization and the redistribution or the fair distribution of wealth, Mm. and to some extent, the one is working against the other. Mm. You know, so if you look at, say, the financial market, well, I look at Ogilvy. To be honest, okay, Ogilvy London profits enormously from the business of. Uh, clients doing advertising regionally rather than nationally mm-hmm. and if we're being really honest about it some of the growth in ogilvy london has come at the expense of ogilvy lisbon you know because when you oh, centralize yeah. things some things disproportionately win and a few things you know and a lot of things actually lose a bit interesting and so yeah the, the fact that fame uh, that's a fascinating case in uh, um, uh, it, 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 the Mona Lisa is a fantastic case, and there are lots of other cases where, for example, by the way, if you yep. were talking, yeah. there are whole chunks of there are whole chunks of human history where Mozart would have been regarded as a fairly minor composer. Hmm. Uh, so i i i i'm not I'm not a good enough musicologist to tell you but Mozarts now kind of regarded as you know preeminent classical composer mm. um there would let's say in nineteen twenty mm. you wouldn't have got very much okay maybe a bit of maybe a bit of the opera but he wasn't regarded as the really? absolute whereas there were now uh Bach sunk into complete obscurity after right. his death until he was his reputation was kind of rescued by Mendelssohn huh. and so <clears throat> okay, <you> know, <coughs> there are these cases where we assume that the sort of pantheon of what's great is fairly constant. Great, and right. it's, you, know, you know, you kind of have Mozart, Beethoven, Bach sure. at the top. But there are composers we've never heard of who in 1930 were regarded as were, absolutely vital right. and important. You see, yeah. that
0: goes back to your point about, so content is king, but distribution is the kingdom, actually. So even though... Lovely right? That's not, that's not me. It's taken from, <laughs> it's taken from Hitmakers. But, but the point is that ob- there's nothing objectively good about a product or a service nope. until, un- until you can get the distribution right. Because if you don't have the distribution, it doesn't matter how good the, good the product or service is. If people don't know about it, there's no way well, that they can. Well,
1: well I, ha- I right? have a really, I have a really weird view here. And I, I I must go and ask someone who knows more about this area than me, but I'm, I, uh, I I personally think that Paul McCartney's preciousness about the Beatles' legacy mm. is a mistake because, you, ne- you know, in other words, you've never had Beatles songs in ads, okay? Mm. If you're sitting in a cafe, the likelihood you hear uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand is, what, a tenth of the likelihood that you'll listen to Brown-Eyed Girl sure. or The Monkeys singing you know, I'm a believer, right? right? Just in terms of general random airtime. To uh, right. So if you're not a Beatles fan, you're not exposed to the Beatles very much. Hmm. Okay, you know, uh, there's there one or two exceptions. I think uh, if I'm writing with Nail and I, there's a bit of a Beatles song and they managed to get it in because George Harrison was a producer of the film and so pulled strings, okay? okay? Right. But it's really rare that you actually get Beatles songs in, in soundtracks. And my view is, is that it's. I understand why they're doing it, because they want to kind of preserve their, the fact that they're kind of fundamentally different from any other act of the period. Sure. I, I think it's, if you contrast that with ABBA, who are producing yep. uh, Mamma Mia, for example, right. And, right. Uh, and and so on, I I personally think it's a terrible mistake.
0: Yeah.
1: I know it's a weird thing to say, but I think that preciousness in the long term
0: yeah.
1: uh, is actually going to prove a mistake. Now, okay, I'd love to debate that with other people. but um,
0: <laughs> I think uh, you've got a really good point. Uh,
1: you know, because if you think about it, just the number of times you're sitting in a taxi and you hear a Beatles song, sure. the number of times you hear a Beatles song without consciously choosing yeah. to listen to one um, is actually much, much yeah. rarer. You know, Brown Eyed Girl is basically, you know, it's sure. played one
0: time in 20 on any uh, on any radio station. So you think the Beatles will fade out of popular consciousness that well, after uh, a uh, of time? Well the, the mythology will
1: survive but the, the actual music Yeah. Um I I, I if you got to remember the the mythology you're, you're...
0: survive. If how can the mythology survive if the music doesn't exist? If the music No no, no no, I, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on. no no
1: you no, I, I know, They're, I mean, they'll always be considered the greatest pop group of the 60s, maybe. But I, I, I I'm always thinking, look, you've got to actually win over a whole new audience every sure. generation. Sure. And by being really kind of no, 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 we won't, you know, we can't possibly have this in an advertisement. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if it's not a big mistake because yeah. you know, if you think about it, there's a wonderful case of uh, ads have entirely rescued musical careers mm. uh percy sledge i think was rescued by bbh I'm, mm. I'm fairly sure that they couldn't even track him down that he his song had gone to number one this is when a man loves a woman his mm. song had gone to number one in the uk just complete amusement. they said uh, you've actually got a stack of money due to you and he goes why because your song was featured in an ad in um in the uk
0: <laughs> well we you... Sorry, I was going to say we should probably start the recording of the po- of the podcast. Mm. I'm going to use. Well, this I'm as recording as well. all of this. Uh, to, yeah. this fantastic, thank you. I'll use this as well. But but can we can we do the intro and then I'll ask a few of my, my standard questions and then I really want to get specifics of the book uh, if 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 you don't mind. But this has been fantastic. If you can send this to me, that would be great. No, no, um, I'll send the whole lot. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. Okay, so I'll I'll count you in in three, two, one rory was previously a copywriter and creative director at ogilvy for over 20 years and having joined as a graduate trainee in 1988 he has been president of the ipa chair of the judges for the direct jury at Cannes, and he's spoken at ted global he writes regular columns for the spectator market leader and impact and also occasional pieces for wired he is the author of two books the wiki man available on amazon at prices between pound ninety-six and 2345 yeah, Depends on how the algorithm's behaving that day. It's <laughs> completely insane.
1: Yeah. But £2,000, I'll come round to your house and read it to you. I mean, I don't quite understand how that algorithm works, but there you go.
0: It's, it's tried to charge me £200 before, and I've said, hmm. mm, I think I'll skip that. He's also authored Alchemy, the, the surprising power of ideas that don't make sense. Rory Sutherland, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. It's a joy. What a pleasure <laughs> to be on. We've been speaking for probably about 45 minutes before the actual recording of this, which has been an absolute delight, which has been fantastic. Your book, I want to talk about your book because it's alchemy, not uh, Wikiman, the expensive one. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the book. It's one of my favorite things because it, it combines behavioral science, evolutionary psychology, marketing, essentially why we do what we do, why we are what, who, who we are. And there are essentially two models that you present in the book. The rational, logical, rule-based way that we think, which is what economists and left-brain thinkers think the way the world works, and magic or alchemy. Uh, Is that a fair assessment? of? Yeah, no, I mean, my point is that there are lots
1: and lots of things about the real world that are, Uh, fundamentally different and by the way mathematically different not just you know conceptually different from uh, the typical models that most people devise to make sense of the world and so the relationship of what you might call rational models of business to reality is a bit the same as as the relationship of the tube map to geography Hmm. Um, and what you need to do at some point when everybody's My argument is always, if you want competitive advantage and everybody's using the same map of the world, eventually, uh, when everybody's been using the same map for a long time, and more and more people are using it, the trick to gaining business advantage is finding out what isn't on the map. Hmm. Uh, Just as you know, I always tell my younger colleagues, look, if you want to buy property in London or even rent good value property in London, go and get a copy of the tube map and find out what isn't on it. Hmm. because the tube map completely distorts everybody's perception of London. They think Fulham's central. Sure. It's actually, you know, Fulham is is miles away from any place where you might actually get a job, unless you work west at the BBC or something. Right. Okay. And yet, there are places like Hearn Hill, which you probably you may never have heard of because it's not on the Tube map. Mm. Which next to a railway station, which will take you into central London in a minuscule amount of time. But people think of those as remote and distant, and places like Fulham as central because the Tube map entirely distorts their view of geography. Mm. And so uh, in the same way, economics distorts people's view of uh, human behavior. Uh, It's very convenient because it's rational. We find it very easy to use in argument and discussion. But the very fact that something makes sense and is plausible doesn't really mean it's true. Right. And so I've always argued that you've always got to look at, um, uh, okay, uh, what's really going on here? And what's really going on may be much more psychological than it is logical. Okay. So my, my argument would be with, okay, a person trying to improve a taxi firm logically would say, we need really quick uh, arrival times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uber, I think, is hugely successful because it did the same thing psychologically by saying, if you can watch a car on a map, you're much less frustrated waiting for a car and therefore mm. the pain of waiting mm. is hugely reduced even if the duration objectively isn't is the same Interesting. and so interesting very interesting thing by the way all si units uh, this, this this comes down to a really interesting question in science which is um scientific units with one exception make no allowance for hu- human perception at all okay I'm, I'm i'm a weird guy because i'm 53 i prefer fahrenheit to centigrade mm. which my kids find weird but my argument is fahrenheit's actually quite useful because in britain naught is as cold as it gets and 100 is as hot as it gets so it's actually quite a wide measure of temperature if yeah. you go what's it going to be tomorrow in the 70s i know what what, what to wear okay whereas mm. actually centigrade is kind of clunky but taking that aside Uh, there's one measure the lumen which is luminosity weighted towards the human visible spectrum because they realize you can't say that's a really luminous bulb it's producing tons and tons of light uh Per second, but it's all in the ultraviolet spectrum. You can't make that a good bulb because if the bulb was producing tons of ultraviolet light, it could be a very effective bulb, but humans down below are still bumping into things. <laughs> right. And so the lumen as a measure actually acknowledges that human perception is weighted to certain parts of the light spectrum. Mm-hmm. Okay that no other scientific unit of time or weight or distance or whatever has any acknowledgement of human perception in it. Now, there was an argument when they introduced temperature, and you occasionally see American maps that say, it's 74 degrees, brackets, feels like 69 degrees. Sure and the point about that is how a how a temperature feels to a human does not map neatly onto what the actual temperature is as measured by a thermometer i see okay and they had this argument and some people said look actually you need to take account humidity wind speed uh technically it's wind speed at five feet above the ground because that's where the human face is roughly Mm -hmm. okay and um uh Uh, and and you can't just say tomorrow's temperature is because that's not very useful to human beings Mm because it's not about how they feel Mm -hmm. and my argument is that when you try and improve the world objectively what you generally choose as metrics is some sort of si unit of time or weight or distance or whatever it may be something quantifiable and by doing that you increasingly might invest in things which don't translate remotely well into human enjoyment or value sure and you know i probably got kind of accidentally famous by making this point about trains by saying that um uh, you know actually you don't need to make trains faster necessarily sometimes you do need to make trains faster don't get me wrong uh, you know if you have a four-hour train journey between paris and lyon reducing that to two makes a huge difference sure. you know, you can you can now do the journey in a day sure. and get sure. back again okay but actually the difference between two hours and an hour and a half does not translate in a linear fashion to human behavior and you may argue by the way that a lot of business people i would be one of them really really like a two-hour train journey because you can get quite a lot of shit you can done get a lot of work sitting done. one place yeah. you get a lot of work done yeah and actually birmingham is classic case yeah um what is it? It's about an hour and a bit, isn't hour it? A, Birmingham, yeah, an hour and 25 okay. minutes,
0: something like that.
1: Yep. Now, my view is, um, and actually, sometimes, by the way, I take the cheaper trains to Birmingham. Oh, right. Uh, okay. You know, the
0: middle, the, what is it, London oh, Middle? It? Yeah, it's like yeah. two and a half hours. Uh, why, why, why would that, you do I know. that to yourself?
1: Well, no, no, because actually, if there's Wi-Fi on the train, yeah, and the there's, a, there's a really cheap advanced first ticket, yeah, and my meeting isn't until 12... My argument is, I managed to get one of those. I'm saving fifty quid versus Virgin. Sure, and um, uh, it it takes you to Snow Hill, doesn't it? One of those. They go, yeah, yeah. I kind of go, well, actually, I can get quite a lot of shit done in those two hours, and you know, um, now the point I'm making is that um, depending on context, uh, those SI units may be good measures of improvement. And they may be terrible. So, sure. I mean, another example where time is a terrible measure of, of, of um, improvement. I'm always fascinated by the fact that live chat as a form of customer service, where you type on a screen and say, right. Can you check my bill for the da 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 da, it's unbelievably slow compared to a phone call. It's kind yeah. of like two or three times slow. It's painful. Weirdly, people love it. People, if you look at the customer satisfaction figures, now the reason for that, I think, is if you're watching TV, you can get on with watching TV while sorting out your Vodafone account, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or your Vodafone roaming package or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you're not you're not holding something to your ear for 25 minutes. So, if you look at the satisfaction figures, they should be terrible because it takes longer to solve your problem sure. than it does on the phone. In fact the satisfaction figures are huge and there are a whole load of other things going on. Like you get a written record of your conversation. If you get passed to someone else, they can skim read everything you've said beforehand. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to repeat it all. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the fact that you don't get embarrassed because a dog starts barking or because your wife's shouting at
0: you. And
1: there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, which means that actually to measure something objectively and particularly with the assumption that the, the relationship between that thing and happiness is linear, is just a fundamental mistake about human perception and behavior. But that, it, but that
0: observation of the fact that, you know, economists basically say that the world is logical and rational, and that things should be measured empirically, and if you enter a business meeting with a spreadsheet, and you have all of your numbers... Uh, and yeah. you know you win you win the uh, argument you, you win you win yeah, yeah. you win you've won but it, nobody but can argue it,
1: against you because trying to argue against a spreadsheet with abstract it, nouns
0: it, right <laughs> is a
1: really really unequal combat you know it's sure. a really really uneven sure.
0: battle yeah but, but we've seen time and time again that those right brain thinkers that don't think red bull is the perfect example and you start red bull Mm. um, that's the example in the book that you start with nobody would 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 consciously think of creating a soft drink that would take on coke by creating something that is more expensive is there's less in the can it tastes it doesn't taste great it actually tastes pretty bad to be honest i mean Um, it tastes tastes kind
1: of it's I i don't know it 's complicated it 's a bit like wheatgrass wheatgrass tastes weird, but because it tastes weird, we think it's good for us mm. and And in anything which you you're looking for pharmacological effects or psychological effects uh, or um, psychotropic effects rather than simple refreshment, our frame mm. of reference changes according to expectation and context. Mm. I mean, I'll freely admit this, by the way. I mean, I ought to be honest about this because I don't want people to read the book and go, shit, this guy knows all the answers. To some extent, I just know questions, not answers. Right. And <coughs> if James Dyson had come to me with the idea of a super premium vacuum cleaner,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think unless I were in a really weird mood, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I, you know, if I were in a really optimistic mood, I'd go, well, what the hell, you know, let's see what happens. But I would have said, I think okay, I cannot think of anything that is more that think ourselves back to the pre Dyson era okay i can't think of anything that's more of a distress purchase than the vacuum cleaner okay (laughs) first of all nobody's going to buy a vacuum cleaner until their existing vacuum cleaner breaks Uh, that's what i would have thought now some some things are like that washing machines are like that okay you it's fiendishly difficult to bring in a a washing machine that is so cool that Mm -hmm. i go i'm going to get rid of my existing washing machine even though it already works to get that better washing machine okay and i would have assumed that vacuum cleaners were like that people go yeah okay like dyson looks quite cool fucking expensive um but maybe maybe when my vacuum cleaner breaks i'll get one of those and i would have had loads of arguments okay i would have said look the people who can afford this have a cleaning lady so they don't actually hoover themselves so why should they care that it's bagless? i could have come up with literally 15 totally rational objections hmm. why you shouldn't launch the dice number said so james mate, just stick to the ball barrows which is his <laughs> original thing stick to the ball barrows and um uh, you know you, you'll be fine but don't get into this vacuum cleaner thing you're crazy um and to be honest you know the popularity of coke in the uk is kind of weird because i would have said to coke look here are the problems you face as coca-cola which is uh, in britain uh, we drink a lot of alcohol I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the reason Coke got its big break during Prohibition, right? You wanted a drink with a bit of a hit when you weren't allowed to buy alcohol. Uh, Britain's a really boozy culture. We've got a shit Mm -hmm. climate. Ice is treated like a luxury good. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We drink loads of tea, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, We want hot drinks because our weather's rubbish, Mm -hmm. okay? I would have come up with a whole line of arguments as to why... Now, admittedly, Coke is consumed significantly less in the UK than it is in the US, But I would have, you know, I could have predicted failure for that. I would have predicted um, minuscule success for the Dyson because I would have said, look, it's a distress purchase, mate. You know, your vacuum cleaner breaks, you go out, you go, well, that one seems to be vaguely tolerable and it's a, you know, reasonable price. The idea of getting someone to spend £500 on all these things. Now, my dad, who's fairly stingy in most ways, okay, Mm. has two. I genuinely don't really understand what's going on. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I what mean, you got
0: two
1: no, what was I, his I, I think, in fairness, I suppose the cordlessness thing really does appeal a bit. Mm. Okay. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I mean, it, it strikes me as. Um, uh, 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 you know, it, it it is genuinely. I mean, there is a logic to having 2 uh, one upstairs, one downstairs. It's not—it is not like he, you know, has a stable of Dysons all in the same <laughs> place. Because I think today I'm going to take out the DSO nine, you know, for a bit of a run. Okay, but, but I guess but, what but I'm it, asking, but is, it is. But I would never have predicted my dad would have bought sure. one of those
0: things. So why has the Dyson become? as popular uh, as it has become. What, what's the reason? Well, I, it's, it's I don't know. I don't know in, one of the things
1: is, I think, that the very fact that it's transparent is much more important than people acknowledge. So maybe vacuuming is much more satisfying when you can see the dirt you've removed from the carpet. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it, maybe it's because you can leave a Dyson out and it kind of looks cool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas you've got to put an ordinary vacuum cleaner back in the c- cupboard definitely maybe it's because now this is total by the way i'm totally hypothesizing here i have no evidence for any of these assertions uh it might be because and this is one of my theories that you don't get an endorphin rush from mid-market retail okay and my argument is that if you've got to buy something there there are areas of activity where people would say this is where i think m&s clothing suffers okay because you get a hit from TK Maxx, you get an endorphin rush. Are you a TK Maxx fan? I've been to TK Maxx, but I can, oh, no, I, no, I, understand, no, sure.
0: I understand why. Yeah, no, it,
1: it's kind of like that kind of, hold on. That, it's, it's 29. Right. Oh, whoa, shit, sure, okay.
0: Of course, now, it's a no-brainer. Right. It's, you know,
1: and then you you're also get a hit from overpriced retail, because it's mm-hmm. kind of, because I'm worth it, to use the sure. L'Oreal phrase. sure and it may be that you've go. got to buy a vacuum cleaner oh god it's 200 quid for a distress purchase but on the other hand if i spend 400 quid i actually get something that's quite exciting sure. i mean there could be that so i mean so the argument is i i always tell the story i'm sorry if anybody's heard it before i went shopping for linen bed linen with my wife and i kind of said after half an hour look can i make your deal here can we spend one of two amounts here in this shop nothing or a lot <laughs> and my wife said well that, well, that doesn't make sense why, yeah. are you, why are you saying that and i said look because if we, I, i'm kind of okay with our existing bed linen i don't get into bed and go oh, this is disgusting you know it's, mm. uh, it's not made out of hessian sacking right it's kind of right. all right right and i said look if we merely spend 200 quid and have more of the same right okay then i've spent 200 quid I, which i could have spent on a drone and I've got bed linen that's kind of the same as our bed linen. Well, yeah. you know, why do I want to do that? On the other hand, if we go and spend big, I can get excited by thread counts, tog values, mattress yep. toppers, you know, um, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, the down of, of Canadian geese plucked by, you know, Alaskan virgins <laughs> or whatever it might be. Oh. I, you know, right. I mean, it all, it all goes into that level. And then suddenly it gets really exciting because it's all gone weird. Hmm. You know, and so uh, you know, I get a bit of a kick from that because I go Ooh, mattress topper, mmm, high tog value,
0: so you thousand see, thread count. Th- that's really interesting because all those things are placebos. Essentially, they are yeah, yeah, built yeah. into the products. Yeah. Um, they're they're not ob- they're not objective things that we can measure and taste and touch. They are things that have been built in either consciously or, or, or unconsciously by the marketer or the or the product developer to, to kind of make the product more appealing so let's talk about placebos because you have a really interesting argument in the book where it actually says that marketers should build placebo there's nothing wrong with actually having a placebo and actually doctors no 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 no. if it it works if it works we we,
1: we have to have this argument in medicine because they try and correct for the placebo effect hmm. and i would argue from a purely a pure question of efficacy in medicine you should try and maximize the placebo effect sure So if making the ritual weird, for example, uh, you know, I I always thought that, you know, Araldite had a strong kind of psychological placebo effect because you had to mix it. Now, maybe if you had a drug where you had to mix it and it fizzed in an exciting way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So interestingly, most foam uh, in uh, detergents is there for show okay Mm -hmm. so the bubbles used to be part of the actual process now they add surfactants to washing powder basically because people see the bubbles and go hmm it's cleaning my clothes Okay, it must be good in the same way that you want your shampoo to lather up i'm sure you could produce a perfectly efficacious shampoo um that didn't lather up in the same way but we'd feel it was all wrong exactly we go this isn't working at all same thing with toothpaste right yeah toothpaste all that sort of stuff and so so there's a fascinating thing there which is the extent to which medicine would regard it as entirely anti-scientific to try and maximize this effect Mm -hmm. psychologists might say well anything that dupes the body into thinking it's being healed which has therefore positive confirmatory effects um might actually be worth adding even though uh it's a placebo effect not a um a pharmacological effect sure well so that's re- i planning... think that's really you know it's it, it's, it really simply, it's simply it's yeah. simply you know if i i okay i jokingly said of the labor <laughs> manifesto i said every marketer on principle should be opposed to 50 percent tax because that's it right. should be 49.99 percent. right <laughs> okay and people think I'm joking, but I'm not entirely joking, Because the point of the tax take is to reduce disincentives to work while raising as much tax as possible. Okay, sure. roughly speaking. Okay, now, my psychologically, if I'm if someone says, "Do you want to do this thing for a thousand quid?" and the government's taking half, it's going to feel more expensive fifty percent mm-hmm. tax mm-hmm. than forty nine point nine nine, even mm-hmm. though the difference is only a few pence. Sure. And my argument is, well, look, if you want to reduce distance entrance to work, actually set it at 48%, not 50. Because 50 is a psychological barrier when you think it about is. it, which yeah. is that, okay, everything I bloody well do, okay, it used to be, whatever happened, everything I did is I got something and the government got a bit less, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, when you do hit 50%, that is a kind of, oh, shit, it, oh, <laughs> you know, bloody, I'll divide What's that by point? two. Right. What's the point? You know, and so it seems to me that, um, uh, genuinely, that, that people will go, well, that's just silly, you're playing with marketing. I'm getting. but the point is the behavior, the point is the resultant behavior. It's not the, the cause of the behavior. And acknowledging that people aren't, strictly speaking, economically rational, um, is, uh, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you, are you basically trying to design the world around economics? Sure. Because economic man doesn't exist.
0: If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcast where you can listen to over 44 such conversations we've had with world-class sales and marketing leaders. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and give us a review. It helps us more than you know. Follow me on Twitter at nathananniebarber. We would be unable. To do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor, Genevieve Mageki is our booker slash project manager. Marian Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Annie you've been listening to Agency Dealmasters.